Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema is a fractional new business team for growth-focused ad agencies. And typically with most, most clients, we are starting with outreach and appointment setting. And when it comes to this sort of task, which is really important for keeping the pipeline full, regardless of however busy or not busy our clients are, there are a few things that make us different. The first is that we are agency specialized. We only work with agencies and marketing service companies. And that's important because marketing leaders are skeptical and the process that's necessary to get meetings for complex marketing services is different for almost any other B2B service or or product out there. The second thing is that we are individualized. Everything we create is bespoke and handcrafted so we can be tasteful and protect our clients' reputations. And the third thing is agile. And that means we think bigger and more creatively than simple outbound lead generation tactics. And we are constantly advancing our program to help our clients win. Since 2014, we've worked with more than 50 agencies of all stripes, conducted more than 7,000 individual campaigns, and generated more than 3,000 agency brand meetings. So if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing and see if we might be a fit for your needs, you can do that by going to saleschema.com and scheduling a consultation with us. Today on the podcast, we have Neil Robertson. Neil is the co-founder and CEO at Influence.co. Influence.co, if you're unfamiliar and according to their LinkedIn description, is the first free and open platform for influencers to build, show off their work, and find collaborations with brands, agencies, managers, and other professionals in the influence industry. So if you are working for an agency or you own an agency or whatever, and you hear the word influencer, one of two things is probably happening. Either you're on board, you're already working with influencers or thinking about doing it or whatever, or maybe some hackles get raised. And when you hear that word influencer, you tense up and you're thinking of that Instagram model and maybe you know this perception of like a flash in the pan marketing trend that's going to go away tomorrow. Uh, and I think that this is really uh, the the wrong way to approach it. I think it's here to stay. And I think there's a lot more nuance and opportunity out there for everyone, for brands, for agencies, for, of course, the end influencers um, than any of us ever thought possible. And and as Neil's going to talk about, COVID and recent trends um, have accelerated this massively. And there's really, really interesting things going on. And there's nobody in a better position to cover this uh, than Neil Robertson. So without further ado, please give it up for him. Neil, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. So for, for those that aren't familiar, you know, you're your co-founder, CEO at Influence.co. And it, it, how, how would you describe Influence.co and what you guys are up to? Sure. Well, Four and a bit years ago, when we started the company, we saw this trend where influencers, creators, bloggers, a lot of people with a side hustle were sort of moving from this place where they thought of their activity as something on the side to something that they were going to do as a profession, as a career. And so we looked around and said, if we believe there's this whole wave of uh, new profession career coming online, what is the business model that we think really caters to them? And we realized that um, you know LinkedIn doesn't work for that generation of people. And so we really set out to build a LinkedIn for influencers, creators, and people that work with them. And that's what we've been building for the last uh, four, four and a half years. Um, and it's going really well. And so uh, on our platform, just like you might get, if you're used to using LinkedIn, you have a professional resume that's sort of designed for the world that you live in. You can connect with other people going through the same professional journey. You can share the professional journey 
talk about things that are important to you. You can um, find brands that are interested in working with you. Um, start your sort of commercial side of influencer marketing, um, get collaborations, et cetera. Um, really kind of a lot of the stuff that you see uh, on LinkedIn, but recast into a context that makes sense for the work that influencers and creators do. Very cool. Very cool. And four and a half years is uh, is obviously a long time in, in our space or in, in you know the digital world. So I'd love to hear, you know, how have you seen that landscape change over the last few years? Yeah, um, it's a fun question. I mean, I can come at it from a few different angles. So um, let me come at it from the sentiment angle. Um, so, you know, when we started, uh, Instagram actually changed the language in their API terms that prevented influencer networks from using their API. Um, so that was the posture of um, a huge company like Instagram. Fast forward now, you know, four or five years later, Instagram has three types of account, business, personal, and creator. They have built-in creator functionality. They have built-in ability, you know, to say that you've um, a post is sponsored. It's just a sea change in people's understanding of the value creation of influencers, everything from everything to brands to the actual platforms that they work on. I mean, we all know that um, creators are core to all of these social networks. Um, sites now, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, et cetera. So that's um, a huge sea change. I would also say that COVID has been an accelerant in, I think, bringing a lot of people from the sidelines into the conversation much more quickly. So, you know, a lot of things happened in COVID that we witnessed, but more than anything, we just saw a lot of people say, all right, <laughs> I got to have a backup plan. I got to figure out how to really make money off, uh, you know, on the internet. Why don't I make money off of what I'm good at and really jump in um, two feet into the deep end where they might have been sort of like in orbit around the industry for a while and not really ready to um, get into it. And so we've just seen this like um, generational shift towards committing to being an influencer creator, whatever you want to call yourself as a um, as a career path um, compressed from probably three or four years into just a few months. Yeah. And there's so much to dig in there, dig into there. I think that, um, one thing is, is you, you kind of talked about, you know, Instagram and, and others changing, you know, how they go about, uh, setting up accounts and, and all this sort of thing. I, I'd love to just hear, you know, in your experience, how, how that buyer journey has changed and what are those sort of macro forces that have compelled that? Um, the buyer journey from the business side of things, you mean? Sorry, from, from the end consumer. Oh, great. Yeah. So, it's funny. I was talking to um, some of the younger um, staff members on our team. Um, I'm an old dog now. And they were just sort of talking about how they naturally um, discover products. And what happens is they sort of move around the social channels that they look at. And there's a lot of passive information that they're collecting. They're seeing photos from their favorite influencers. They're noticing who's tagged or the hashtags. And at some point in time, there's like enough signal that they go, wow, I'm starting to see this brand or this whatever, this Le Creuset pan, which I've never heard of before is popping up. Let me go do some more research on that. But they don't like go type in Le Creuset. They go to Instagram and they start looking at who else has talked about Le Creuset on Instagram? Who else has posted about the hashtag? It's like, um, you know, in, in in venture capital land, they call it signaling, right? Like who is talking about this thing and, and thus how is it making it important? So the social signaling is very, very important. But what's interesting is once they get a sense, there's a lot of people that are interested in, in something, they don't then go to, still a bit of Le Creuset, they go to YouTube and they start looking at reviews. And so they go through this very research-oriented process that's heavily driven by 
um, influencers and voices that they believe in before they really even end up at the final brand destination page, or they might be on Amazon trying to buy something. Um, that's a very, very different process than we're used to um, going through where in the old days we would sort of like, you know, go to a mall and maybe our, we were sort of handheld through a process, you know, contained by the Le Creuset store from start to finish by a Le Creuset rep. Um, and it reminded me of a big shift that happened in um, B2B marketing in the last decade where, you know, there was uh, such an emphasis put on content marketing. And what happened is you essentially had to have educated um, the potential prospect before they ever got a hold of your sales team. That's essentially happening in consumer now, where I didn't think it really happened before. And the influencers are the educators. And that's what's really fascinating about it. So um, we're in early innings of understanding how Gen Z buys things. And it's definitely not the same way that you or I probably buy things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm 33 and I feel like I got one of the last lifeboats to the the old country or something where things <laughs> yeah, are still, do, yeah. still done the old ways. And I, I can't imagine going on YouTube and, and, you know, going to a million different places uh, to buy things, but maybe I'm just weird. Um, I, I guess with, with that in mind, how much, how much do you think it's, it's subliminal, you know, in terms of the signals and, and all these things that influencers are putting out versus conscious? Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think that it's always been subliminal, right? I'm sort of a traditionalist where the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, but the the way that it was subliminal before is that, you know, Tommy Hilfiger decided the brand had an identity and they were going to do a photo shoot with a certain set of models in a certain location that looked a certain way with a very specific look. And they were going to make sure that that Tommy Hilfiger ad was on every billboard that you might pass going to work. It was on every like, you know, um, ad inside of a mall. It was on the back of every bus. And it was sort of a saturation subliminally because like you weren't necessarily looking for Tommy Hilfiger. Now what's happening is that um, influencers are the billboards, but they're also the content creators. And so, um, and what the gener- you know, our generation expects is not the one singular Tommy Hilfiger ad, but a thousand versions of the Tommy Hilfiger ad, but a thousand different types of models, models that look like me, models that are living my lifestyle, or maybe a lifestyle that's completely different that I might fantasize about. Um, and they're leaning into the content. The, I really believe that the, um, you know, it would be, it would be unfair to say that people didn't love advertising um, in the 70s and 80s because they did, right? There's these iconic ads, right, around the gray Poupon ad, right, with Christy Brinkley and a Ferrari. Like, we all remember that growing up as a kid, right? But now um, ads are just as much content as they were before, but they're really about placing brands in like a thousand different lifestyles and sort of absorbing um, a message from a brand in a very... More, more distributed and, and fractured way, but a much more textured and nuanced way. I think we'll realize it's the same thing we've been doing. It's just the delivery mechanism is highly distributed instead of highly concentrated. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And it reminds me of something I've, I've either heard or read somewhere, and it might've been from like an evolutionary biologist or psychologist or something. And it's the idea that we tend to compete within our own social strata. So, you know, the mechanic probably isn't looking at the billionaire celebrity as somebody to aspire to be, that's just sort of in a different universe, but they might be looking at somebody who's just a little further, <laughs> further ahead and, you know, either in conventional success or some sort of other success as something to aspire to. Do you, do you see that dynamic? If that makes sense, do you see that dynamic playing out in the influencer world? I think it does. Right. And there's, I mean, let's look at like precursors to what we consider the influencer world. I mean, I think the music world is a very good analog of what happens in the influencer world. Right. So musicians and artists, are cultural icons. 
musicians and artists come from lots of different backgrounds. And to some extent, they are aspirational in what they're talking about, right? And so take a look at how much of um, current luxury fashion culture has been essentially propped up by um, rap and hip hop, right? I mean, it's, um, it's integrated deeply into, you know, into the lyrics. It's integrated deeply into the lifestyle. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that's um, aspirational for a lot of people that listen to the music. And so I think that influencers are sort of using the same playbook, but they're doing it with a thousand different starting points um, instead of kind of a couple of starting points anchored in a couple of different forms of music. Um, so again, it's like, it's just the same bag of tricks, but it's being naturally recast times a thousand. And, and, and that's the thing that I think is really um is the sea change that I think it's harder for marketers to get their head wrapped around because it's hard to think about doing a thousand of something that, than it is about doing one thing, right? It's, you can see like the, the person designing the perfect Gucci billboard ad, like their head exploding when they're like, how do I make a thousand of these things? How do I relinquish control over to someone and hope that it's good? Um, but you know, you get on the train and you start realizing it's not as hard as you think. And all of a sudden it's a very powerful tool. Um, rather than taking one shot on the goal with one Gucci ad, that's the, the, you know, the summer campaign and you better hope that it worked. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And this might get a little bit wonky or speculative, but I guess I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, do you think there's a world in which, um, you know, we're still kind of in uh, a relatively early stage market for influencers and brands. Do you think there's a world in which it consolidates and brands, you know, do find, Oh, actually, if we just get these few people and basically build them up to celebrity status, essentially go back to old ways, that's going to be effective. Or do you think it's going to kind of remain uh, fractured and so on? I think we are in the early days. I think we don't fully understand the different ways that influencers are going to be used. Um, it's very easy to look at Instagram and look at someone's feed as a billboard and understand like how you can multiply audience times, you know, engagement plus content equals outcome. Like that's very simple. Um, but you're already starting to see much more subtle and textured things happening. So um, I think it was Walmart that decided to um, shoot a lot of their on property content with influencers and just sort of not necessarily have them overtly there being like, here's a sweater that I like, but have them just sort of passively being there as a signal so that you're like, you're, you're shopping with someone you're familiar with, right? As you're walking around the Walmart site. Um, I think people create relationships with so many more so many celebrities, influencers than they used to, that the way that the that the impact and the signaling of those people is going to be used is just starting to get unlocked. It, you know, pre-pandemic, um, you know, uh, moving influencers around to different sort of events and things was, was becoming a really big um, marketing tactic. I don't know if you spent much time looking at this, but experiential marketing was absolutely the thing that was going to dominate 2020. And it's just like the one externality they couldn't have predicted swept its feet out from underneath it. Um, but I, I went to this, um, Gatorade has this water called Propel. And I went to this like Gatorade Propel water fitness event in Santa Monica. They rented like the Santa Monica airport and put on this like massive fitness event. And I just walked around <laughs> like, this is it. This is the future of it. I mean, it was just littered with influencers, littered with people. They're all paying $60 to come and basically take a, a fitness class outline sponsored by a brand with just like 
Instagram photo booth everywhere and had the pandemic not shown up, I think it would have been more obvious to us the way the influencers are going to be used rather than speculating. I think that just all got deferred about 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. That's who knows what like what would have happened and we'll see if it ever swings back. And I guess it'll be yeah. kind of a show of force to be able to get the people that many people in a room again. Right. So we'll see, we'll see yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, I, I think one, one thing is when you say the word influencer, it usually like raises hackles with lots of people these days and they're like, okay, there's this TMZ kind of Insta model thing. And like, how many of these people do we actually need and, and whatnot? So I, I know from talking to you and just from, from looking into this more that the influencer creator is, is way bigger than that. It's more nuanced and more interesting. So with yeah. that, with that in mind, I'd love to hear like, what are some of your, you know, f- favorite influencer stories or journeys that, that you see? Um, favorite influencer stories. So, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the basics of a story that basically inspired me to get into the industry. Um, when I, I've always been in uh, marketing tech and ad tech and the last company I built was one of the largest meta affiliate companies in the world, it's a company called big link. So we helped a couple million bloggers monetize their blog by putting affiliate links in it's a huge industry that not a lot of people know about. Interestingly enough, a uh, very similar analogy because when we started that business, affiliate was kind of a dirty word. It was used by a lot of like porn sites and like teeth whitening and just like kind of the grimy edge of the internet. And it took 10 years to really legitimize it. But now affiliate is like a huge business for most major publications. Um, I wouldn't say the influencer started as grimy as that, but definitely like the the connotative side of things, like it's still sort of swirling around a little bit. Um, but when I... Um, when I got into the industry, I got really fascinated by this um, young woman out of Australia in Adelaide who had built this incredible community on Instagram around this uh, bikini body guide that she had built. It was like a 90-day back, get back into fitness um, guide. And it was a very like simple and formulaic um, like PDF, literally. It was just a PDF that you bought. But she had this sort of rabid fan base on Instagram that she was building. And... Um, <clears throat> Really, I think like the world was looking for the next, you know, Olivia Newton-John or sort of pick your your, your more recent, uh, you know, the follow-on to the P90X. They were sort of looking for someone that was very socially minded. And she just perfectly captured that connection of um, fitness and social. She created um, an aspirational, you know, like lifestyle brand and community and did it really well on Instagram. And she ended up parlaying um, what was a very healthy, essentially like ebook business into, she was the first person that built a app where essentially she just took her ebook and built it into an app and charged a subscription fee for it. And I think she does like $70 million a year in revenue now off of this app. And she has gone on to, you know, have this very large global audience and pre pandemic, she was doing these events everywhere. Um, so um, I think she's just like a really incredible example of someone that can mix their passion with a product with very good social engagement and community building and really build an incredible business out of it. And uh, I mean, I think she's probably the, the, the leading fitness influencer in the world. I mean, she has like 10 or 15 million followers now. Um, so, and there's a couple other, um, a uh, couple other sort of derivatives of her as well that have done very, very well. Um, but that's, that's actually how I got into the business. I saw what she was able to, she was capable of, and it inspired me to go, um, you know, headlong and find a model and influencer marketing. And I thought I could build on. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I think, I guess, you know, you're kind of in an interesting position of getting to see a lot of people get started and get to varying degrees of success with, with this model. And, you know, if somebody's out there and they're, uh, maybe they got laid off or they're thinking about moving into this world, are, are there things to keep in mind? Are there, are there consistent themes that you've seen around who's successful kind of going down this road? Yeah, I mean, it's all, all the all the old adages are true, right? Um, authenticity matters. And people, when they hear that, they tend to think that that means don't litter your Instagram with brand sponsorship. And that's not actually what it means. So if you look, for example, at um, an influencer like the Skinny Confidential, she's very close friends with um, uh, myself and my family. She is like a, um, a, a brand information machine, but she does it in a way that it's incredibly valuable to her audience. And that's why her audience follows her. She talks about her lifestyle and she talks continuously about products that she is experimenting with in her lifestyle and trying out. And she tries everything. She's very thinking about that. And so um, I think that, that um, you know, people hear those things as mutually exclusive, you know, talk about brands and have brand integration to your content and be authentic. But I don't think that's true. I think it just means if you are someone who cares a ton about experimenting with new products, awesome. Talk about it. If that's not what, who you are, then don't, flood your Instagram with, you know, every other post being a branded, branded post. People pick up on that really quickly. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is in terms of um, actually building um, uh, influencer marketing into a professional journey, there are just some basics of um, being a professional that get forgotten sometimes because this has been sort of a side hustle for so many people for such a long time. They've, they sometimes, don't treat it as if it was a job, by which I mean they're not communicative. There's a lot of, oh, sorry, the dog ate my homework. Uh, I didn't get this thing done. And brands are really looking for longer-term relationships with influencers now. There, there was a very much like one-and-done mentality in the beginning of influencer marketing, but now you're seeing a lot of like brand ambassador programs pop up and people wanting to do multiple engagements. And those that are showing up and acting most professionally are succeeding. And you can succeed even with a small following um, you know, against people with much larger followings just by being a consummate professional. Um, sound like I'm a old man giving advice to my young daughter, but like, it's kind of, it's true. It's we true. see thousands yeah. of interactions every day on the platform and by far the people that are just crisp and good at their job, um, are the ones that are having the most success. Yeah, it's just the, the little things that, that make a huge difference as usual. So um, to, to get into monetization a little bit, you, you mentioned affiliate and that's kind of becoming the, the op, another option. And my impression is there's just, you know, if, if you're going into this world, you have a lot more weapons to choose from or tools in your toolbox in terms of how you how you make money. So I'd love, love to hear your experience with that and just kind of what, what other options are out there for people. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, the buffet of ways that an influencer can make money is expanding at an incredibly rapid pace, right? So, um, I think there's there's essentially uh, you know a chain of events that happens. An industry gets started; it's small. People are scrappy; they do a lot of things bespoke, and then a few companies come in to help build sort of like monetization mechanisms, which drags some more people into the industry, and the flywheel starts to spin. And then at some point in time. Um, you know, VCs go, oh, there's a large addressable market here. And they start pumping money into the space, which creates a thousand points of light. They're all trying to help prop the industry up and everybody kind of like all the boats rise to the tide. We're in that phase right now. There's a lot of venture money coming into the space because they realize that the total addressable market 
um, is, uh, is very, very big. So, um, it's, it's an exciting time, um, to, uh, um, to be an influencer getting going. Um, Oops, I actually forgot the original question. I'm sorry. No, no worries. I, I basically, just other other mon- That's that's interesting. Oh, I'm glad you it. covered it. But monetization models, just kind yeah. of what else is going on there. Yeah. Great. So, so the reason I said that was so now what's happening is people are looking at the landscape and saying, how can we sub segments out lots of little pieces of monetization, right? So you've got like Cameo, which is monetizing fame as a way to think about it. You've got Patreon that are helping people monetize their audiences. You've got people that are building communities and monetizing them. The people that are doing one-on-one coaching, you know, there's like a thousand different ways that you can actually just, you know, get money from your audience. One of the ones that I think is most interesting because there's an established infrastructure there is, as you mentioned, affiliate. So traditionally, for those that don't know, affiliate is pretty simple. You've got a blog, you're a mommy blogger, you talk about a stroller that you love, you want a link on your blog to somewhere that someone could buy that stroller purely out of utility for your users, right? Just helps them having to saves them from having to Google it. But you can embed something in that link so that if someone clicks on that link, goes to that site, whether it's Amazon or somewhere else, buys that stroller, you get paid a percentage of that. This is actually a multi-billion dollar industry, about $15 billion a year gets sort of um, paid out. Um, and Amazon is by far the largest sort of um, uh, winner there because people push so much traffic to Amazon. It's a big part of how Amazon got built is they built this affiliate program very early on. Um, that has traditionally not been a, a mechanism to monetize on social because on Instagram, you can't put links into your posts. You, you can write them in, but they're not clickable. So no one in their right mind would ever like type out a very complicated link with lots of jumbly letters in it, which is what those affiliate looks look like. But um, a lot of people are now using these LinkedIn bio tools. So you've probably seen on Instagram, uh, Linktree or LinkedIn bio, or there's a bunch of different ones. And, you know, you click on them and it basically says, here's all the ways, ways that you can find me. Here's my Instagram, here's my TikTok, et cetera. But you can put links on there to products and you can affiliate those links. So the LinkedIn bio tools are very much um, enabling um, a piece of real estate that you can actually put affiliate links on that's being very commonly used. So we're seeing a lot of influencers be successful thinking about um, affiliate links to products that they've been talking about on their feed and putting those links into uh, uh, their LinkedIn bio tools. And um, so it's opening up this whole world of revenue for influencers that didn't exist before. There's other similar mechanisms. Um, Amazon launched a program called Amazon Influencer Shops, where you can go on Amazon and build a storefront, and you can basically pick all the products out of Amazon that you've talked about on your Instagram. And then you can push your audience to that Amazon shop and say, hey, if you heard me talk about something that you love, just go over here. It's guaranteed you'll find it on Amazon. And then if someone does buy that, they end up paying you an affiliate fee. So there's a lot of different ways you can start to monetize that way. Um, But it's I think 2021 will see a huge upswell in affiliate for um, influencers because it's essentially not being available before. And so people kind of shunned it because everybody wanted them to do pay for performance deals, but there was like really no way for them to actually make the money from it. So they were like, oh, gross, no pay for performance. I don't do that. And once they realize, oh, they can actually make a lot of money sometimes there. And it's super passive, right? You just put a link on your link tree and let it sit there for a month. If you make some money, great. If you didn't, you didn't take up any space on your feed, right? Um, I think it's going to be a big uh, growth area in the marketing next year. Yeah, there's there's so much <clears throat> to dig into from that. I guess my first question is with that in mind, with this sort of context where you know, you're, you're putting one link at a time in your bio and so on. 
how, how much do you believe in the kind of athlete NBA NFL model whereby you have an influencer that hitches their wagon to one brand for whatever six months, a year, two years at a time versus, you know, the situation that I, that I think is more common where you have one influencer that's just like working with different people every day. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So the difference between the, the, um, the NBA model and the influencer model is, by definition, the NBA model, you already have a job, right? You already have a job that takes 100 hours of the week and is your core passion. And then you're tacking on my monetization strategy on top of that job. But with an influencer, the monetization is the job. And so um, it, I'm sure there are examples where you could lock yourself up with one brand uh, for a longer period of time. But most influencers are working with a lot of brands related to whatever their, um, their content is about. And so it's, it's a, it's a fair conversation, but I don't think it's a very good analogy because they're actually quite different ways of making money. Right. I mean, um, it's interesting. I, I was able to, um, hang out with the CEO of Cameo, uh, when he was here in LA for a while and had this really fascinating conversation. And one of the things that came out of it was, you know, <clears throat> in the old days you became famous after you made money, right? So you were a rock star, you made money. You were a movie star, you made money. And your fame was correlated to you already having money. It wasn't because you had money, but you didn't really become famous unless you had money. Um, now, the opposite is true. You know, you're the ocean spray guy, right? And now 48 million people know who you are, but like he didn't have much money, right? I mean, people donated to get him a house um, so that he you know, could move um, out of his trailer home. They gave him a truck. And so you have this complete inversion of the, the order of things. And so um, it's, it's sort of very similar to what you're saying about NBA versus influencer. Like if you're an NBA star, like, you know, great. Yeah, you want to monetize $100 million of sneaker deals, but like you already have a gig paying you $25 million a year. It's just carry on top. The influencer coming at it from a very different perspective. So um, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I guess one one thing I thought of is how much, at what stage, if at all, are you finding that influencers are worried about platform risk? You know, where they're like, okay, I actually need to build my own site yeah. list because maybe Instagram is going to change something and I'll just be out of everything tomorrow. You know. Yeah, you know that's um, that's a really great question. Um, I would say it is much further along in their career than you would think. I think that most influencers that are 10, 20, 30, 50,000 followers are so focused on content creation and audience building that the idea of trying to go and build an audience on a second platform is like mind blowing to them. Um, I think it is, um, it's not easy, but it is easier to take an audience of a million followers on Instagram and then try to revector them over to TikTok, for example. Um, it's not easy because the same content doesn't necessarily work on those two platforms, but I think it's it's probably not a good strategy if you have two thousand followers on Instagram to try to do Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok all at the same time, because there is a, a, a specialization that you learn, and you learn these things actively and passively around feeds and aesthetic and using hashtags and using like, you know, shout outs and building on top of each other. And they're all very subtly different on each platform. So yeah, you can take a David Dobrik who can move from YouTube to TikTok very successfully, but that's because he's got a big fan, fan base to launch himself. 
But you mentioned also something really subtle in there, which is about owning your audience. I think this is a subject that's coming up a lot more. And I think it's fueling sort of some of the under underbelly of the story of the Patreons and the Substacks and things like that, which is have a direct audience relationship. Um, and portability is sort of one of those things. Uh, there's an interesting company um, called Notify Me. I don't know if it's launched yet, which is allowing you to basically follow an influencer or creator in a platform agnostic way. And they actually aggregate kind of alerts of new content into one place from the different social uh, networks. I'm eagerly awaiting to see how successful that is because I think it is a business built around this idea of like, you should own the audience, not be beholden to the platform, which really means being beholden to the algorithm at the end of the day. I mean, like, let's be honest, that's the thing that people are scared of, right? Is algorithm change. Um, yeah. So, yeah, long way of saying, I think most people probably, it's one of these things that people talk about a lot, but probably very few people act on because it's very hard to do. And there's a thousand other things that you're just worrying about you know, in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think the idea is, so even in the B2B world of juggling multiple platforms, there, there used to be this kind of like, maybe it's still just this notion of I'm going to create content. I'm just going to put it everywhere. And then, you know, surround sound effect, but each, each of these platforms has such idiosyncrasies and such specialization that's yeah. needed to be successful now. So I think that's, that's a really good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's hard, it's hard, right. It's hard to build social channels. I mean, as, as a, in the B2B context, uh, in the consumer context, I mean, we do it at Influence, right? We have Instagram, we have Twitter for our new stuff. You know, we don't even touch TikTok or YouTube. I mean, at some point in time, because part of our business is a, is a, is a media organization, we produce a lot of content about influencers and creators because we think there's a lot of people that are interested in, in reading about that stuff. Um, but those are all experimental, experimental activities for us now um, because they're hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I definitely would be dropping the ball if I didn't bring this to agencies at some point. So I, I just love to hear your thought on, yeah. you know, how do agencies fit into all of this, if at all, in the future? And what and what are the the better influencer agencies doing differently in your in your experience? Yeah. So one of the premises that we had early on in our business was we, we saw a lot of people jumping into the influencer marketing space and building marketplaces. So essentially. Hey, brands, you don't know how to work with influencers. We've got a bunch. Hey, influencers, we'll get the brands for you. And then we're going to put ourselves in the middle in a marketplace model and we're going to help run a campaign. Um, we saw that and our thought was every agency in the world at some point in time is going to realize that they need to add influencer marketing <laughs> into what they do because influencer marketing is a relatively fungible activity. There's no secret sauce. There's no AI algorithm that helps you be good at it. It is purely procedural. It's about running the process as effectively as possible. Um, and um, we didn't want to be a marketplace because when every agency jumps in, they already have the client list. It cost them $0 to sell the, an existing client to an influencer marketing campaign. It costs the marketplace a lot of money to compete against that. We thought that was going to be a bit of a mess. So that's why our model is the LinkedIn model where it's just a big connector model. We have 75,000 brands on the platform. They can put up a job posting for influencers if they want. People in the community see that job posting, they apply, we say, have fun, you know, um, we connect them directly, and then we stay out of the way, right? Just like LinkedIn doesn't interview your candidates for you, they don't, you know, pay them for you, we don't do any of that either. So um, I think that um, 
In the next couple of years, most digital agencies will bring on some form of influencer marketing. We're seeing a huge surge in agencies coming to the platform and wanting to use the tools. Um, the influencer marketing is a it's a human-based activity. It is an activity that has a lot of moving parts to it. And so the agencies that do the best with it are those that are very, very good at creating process and using tools to their advantage. I think one of the one of the things that agencies might need to change a bit of mentality around is traditionally agencies don't pay for anything. They're like notorious for never buying software, never buying a platform. They try to pass all their costs on to their customers. And I think that um, that may not be the, the best strategy in influencer marketing because you have to run an influencer marketing campaign efficiently and you have to have integrated software to do that. Our software basically replaces spreadsheets plus Dropbox plus email plus, you know, reporting tools, et cetera. If you're trying to run 25, 30, 40 influencer marketing campaigns on those tools, which you probably could run other types of agency work, uh, you're going to have your margins are going to go to zero. So you do need to buy a piece of software. Now you can try to, you know, pass that cost off to your customer. Um, but we're seeing the most successful agencies realize this one I got to buy. Um, yeah. And then aggressively taking that out, um, selling sophisticated and scalable solutions to their customers and getting high margins because of the arbitrage of that brand not knowing or wanting to do that work and their excellent process of being able to do it because they've got a piece of software. Um, not really how agencies work traditionally. Like if they were going to run your Facebook ads, they would just go use Facebook's ad, Facebook ad manager and like, you know, put some Excel sheets together and throw some PDFs off and not pay for any infrastructure and call it a day. Yeah. It doesn't work in influencer marketing. You got to be more sophisticated than that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And w- one thing you mentioned is, you know, kind of the, maybe you didn't mention it, but I was thinking of it, the, the idea of, of the B2B side of this. Is that pretty much just LinkedIn or are there any interesting ways you're seeing B2B influencers kind of make their way? in the world? Um, I think the B2B side of it is a really fascinating side of things in general. Um, I, I don't think there's any standards. I don't think there's any common approaches. Um, I think there's more opportunity for creativity on the B2B side of things than there even is in consumer. I mean, we've seen like random campaigns for insurance and finance things like that do well on TikTok, right? I mean, it's, um, yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily assume that because there's a B in the front, it has to be on LinkedIn. Um, I think the the LinkedIn influencer sphere is, is actually relatively unorganized now. I'm, I, you know, I'm sure there are people doing good work there, but it's not kind of a common part of most people's sort of platforms or world of influencers they work with. Um, but there's definitely opportunity there. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I am... We do mostly consumer stuff, so I'm not that close to it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting in a couple of years to see what works. Yeah, I think you're probably right, and that's been my experience in my business is that a lot of the times the same views and the same clicks from the same people are just cheaper outside of LinkedIn. You know, yeah, and it's at the yeah. end of the day, it's just people that you're trying to reach. Yeah. So, makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I know we're getting towards the end of the time. And I guess to close things out, I'd love to just hear what what's new, what you have upcoming at Influence.co that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, well, um, so our platform is constantly evolving, constantly growing. Um, we're launching a piece of functionality 
this week, I believe, which is um, catering to, you know, so in our community, people ask a lot of questions because there's just a lot to know about influencer marketing. It's all new to everybody. And this is both influencers asking questions and also businesses asking questions. And one of the most beautiful things about our community is everybody jumps in and gives their answers. And the answers are not always necessarily the same. So you get a really good view of how the world works. Um, we decided to take that um, sort of content interaction engagement and formalize it into its own functionality. So uh, we built a product called Answers, which is you know basically like a mini Quora dedicated to influencer marketing. And we'll be launching that where people can come in and formally ask questions of the community and get answers and upload the answers and do things like that. That is, um, uh, we're really excited to launch that because it's a big part of why people love the community, especially when brands get to ask a question and have influencers answer it. I mean, that's, you know, the thing I don't like about marketplaces, but I like about community is marketplaces put people on other sides of the table. Like that's not what we want. We want everybody together learning because there's a great post that I saw in the community recently where a business was like, do you guys like discount codes? What do you think about that? Is it tacky? Do you love it? You know, do, like, do your users love it? Do your audience love it? And there's this, this really interesting thread about the pluses and minuses of discount codes and tracking and it's built into affiliate and how to do that correctly. And like this business would have had to hire an agency and spend thousands of dollars a month to get that level of information, but they got it directly from the influencers. And these are not people that are necessarily working on their campaign. It's just people in the community that are interested in what's going on. And so, um, so I'm really glad that we're formalizing that. Um, and then there's just a lot of functionality that we're building, like we're scaling so quickly um, right now that we're actually having to rebuild a lot of our tools um, to deal with some of the scale. So how you can find people and how you can discover campaigns and things like that. These are like the problems that you say, oh, we'd love to have those problems. And then you have them and you go, oh, what a pain in the ass. Yeah, those problems <laughs> um, so, at the end of the day. There's <laughs> those problems, even though I'd love yeah. to have them. So um, yeah, it's a, fun, it's a fun time. I mean, um, I don't want to say... COVID has been good for us because that sounds dark, but I think COVID just made people push the penguins off of the iceberg, right? And like then everybody else is following. And there's just a lot of interest in focusing on what you love and figuring out how to monetize it. I mean, like what a great world where, you know, a generation of people can be good at the stuff that they care about and there's infrastructure to help them make a living off that. That's awesome. So we're really just trying to stay ahead of that and, and cater to as many people as possible as we can because the overall market is just growing like insanely right now. And we're just trying to, you know, keep paddling to the top of the wave uh, as fast as we can. It's, it's, it's funny. I'm sure we could do a whole other episode about that, but it's like, I, I remember starting, you know, a, a consultancy for my laptop that's since grown since like 2014. I was in uh, networking groups and we all thought we were so special. Look at us on our laptops doing our own thing. And then it's like the whole world just joined us overnight, you know? So it's like, it's, it's yeah. pretty compelling, pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And, you know, but I'll say, and you probably know this, like the tools have lagged, right? Like, so you probably were really unique that you found a networking group and you had a support system, you know, that shouldn't be hard to get access to that. You shouldn't have to put that much effort into it. It should be apparent where you can go to get answers, to work with community and to find opportunity. And that's, those three things are essentially what influence provides. And that's why we're, we focused on building tools for the influencers four years ago, because we thought that that would be the audience to super serve and that the businesses would then show up because all the educated influencers are there on a platform and they could learn from them. And it, tends to be working. So we're just trying to keep super serving that audience as best we can. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it, it was super hard back then. It was like in a weird dark corner, friend of a friend sort of totally. thing. So I think that's yeah, a great point. Yeah. 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 Neil, um, how we'll get in touch with you, follow what you're doing and, and so on. Sure. So um, 
So the company is influence.co. Um, I have a, uh, a profile on the platform, N-I-E-L-R-1. Uh, you can direct message me on the platform and I respond to everything. Um, and then, of course, I'm on all the socials with the same name. So uh, feel free to reach out to me. Um, but this is super fun, man. Thanks for giving me a few minutes to talk about what I, what I care about. Yeah, likewise, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Once again, our show is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema is a fractional new business team for growth-focused marketing agencies. And if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing and see if we might be able to help out, you can do that by going to saleschema.com and scheduling a consultation with us. Look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thank you.